Beards and Belvedere's. I'm Adam. Paul. And I'm Jerry. Today we've got uh, not a bourbon, but a a brandy to drink and talk about. we got our, a cigar, like always, and another beard product to talk about. But before we get into any of that, we have an amazing guest on the show. Um, he actually made this brandy. Um, you probably know him from Spirits of French Lick. The head distiller, Mr. Alan Bishop. How are you doing today, sir? Good, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. We, we were really excited whenever you said that you would uh, be willing to come on. Been looking forward to this for a while, and I'm always looking for an excuse to get into this bottle, as is Jerry. Um, we, uh, we, myself or, or Jerry, one of us sent Paul a sample because he didn't have this bottle. But, um, Paul, did you did you try it yet? I have not. Okay. Well, waiting on that portion of the show eagerly. In for a treat <laughs> because um, this this will give you a punch to the face with apple and heartburn at the same exact time. <laughs> but it's, time. it's in the best way possible. This shit is fantastic. So at least, at least it doesn't take much of it to get you there, right? That's a <laughs> trick. Right. Not at all. Yeah. So uh, you know, before we uh, get to the whiskey or the the spirit of the week, we always start with our palate warmers. So. Um, Mr. Bishop, are you drinking anything at this particular moment? Uh, not this evening, just some coffee. I've got a, a house full of little girls that I still have to uh, decorate the Christmas tree with and been playing video, or not video games, but board games with. We just played uh, maybe the single most epic game of Uno that I've ever played because these girls are malicious. <laughs> <laughs> How old? Uh, so there's my daughter and then the youngest of the cousins. They're both uh, eight then I think they're like two years apart after that. So 10, 12, and 13, 14. Okay. So we've got three girls and a boy. Uh, the oldest is 15, and then the boy is 12, and then there's a 10 and a nine-year-old. And so this was mostly out of necessity um, <laughs> before they came along, but ever since then, it's just, it's barely there. It's, just keeps going. I feel you, man. <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> Jerry, what are you drinking on? I was muted. Um, because of the the beast that we're getting into later, I, I pulled up something a little bit heavy. Uh, I went with the Copper and Kings uh, Butcher Town Brandy coming in. Nice. Twenty four. Yeah, yeah. one twenty four proof. That was one of my projects back in the day too. That was that was my baby originally. Yeah, so. it's a. Uh, me and Adam and a few of our our buddies went to Copper and Kings a year and a half ago. I think it was. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where me and Adam fell in love with Brandy. And um, unfortunately, up until recently, we haven't seen any Copper and Kings around me down here in Florida. Um, just started seeing the 90 proofer, I think. But uh, came yeah. back with this one and a few others. And it it's fantastic. Awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. I need to get a new bottle that I haven't tried it in several years. So it's, it's on the list. Fantastic. Paul, what are you drinking down there in your dungeon? Well, yeah, in the mad scramble to move out of the rain, uh, I grabbed the lowest proofer I could find up front and on the shelf because I know what we're getting into. So I went with um, Virginia Lightning Moonshine from Chuck Miller out at Belmont Farms. I was nice. at the distillery a couple months ago, I guess. Picked up a few bottles and did a little tour. And they were building a new barn out front. So it was kind of a cool day. But um, yeah, pretty, pretty good 90 proof corn whiskey. Ain't nothing wrong with that. 
I went with some clear apple pie. This is corn liquor um, that was uh, run through the still with uh, apple pie filling, cinnamon sticks, whole cloves, and spring water in the thumper. Popped out on the other side, tasting mm. exactly like you would imagine it did. Yeah, last last night I broke into. Uh, I've got some malted corn whiskey that I made a couple years ago, but it was it's uh, applewood smoked malted corn whiskey. Had a little bit of oats in it and just a little bit of sunflower seed, um, and then that went into a once used. Um, oh, I can't even think of the name of Gary Hindgardner out there in Missouri. Uh, uh, Wood Hat Spirits, uh, blue corn barrel for okay. nine months, and then just a little bit, a tiny little bit of Amberana. So I pulled that out and uh, mostly was drinking it with eggnog last night because it it worked really. That Amberana, of course, has kind of a cinnamon sort of thing to it, so it worked sure. out really well with that. But it's that's, good on its own too. So. That sounds pretty amazing. Did the sunflower mm -hmm. uh did that did that oil really pull through? Was that uh, it does. It's almost like a almost like an umami character. So a lot of times I'll I play around with sunflowers and what I'll do is I'll malt them and then I'll roast them okay. and really set that oil to kind of give um it's the closest thing I've ever found that you can get out of a spirit as a white spirit that resembles what in like cognac you would consider like rancio, that that sort of earthy savory sort of umami sort of character but it, it seems to work with sunflowers you do the only downside is you don't really get any alcohol out of the sunflowers so you can't really you know conversion wise there's not anything there and honestly if you malt them you got to keep the green and everything on them or else there's nothing nothing left so. right but i like the flavor it gives it's definitely an interesting flavor that i don't i don't think there's been very many people play around with that so okay well before we get on to uh this uh, beautiful spirit that you produced here um, for our listeners that may not know, because we got a wide range. We got people that smoke cigars, people that, that uh, use beer products. They listen to us for those reasons. Maybe they may, maybe they're not drinkers, whatever. Um, could you tell them who you are and, and what you do? Absolutely. So my name is uh, Alan Reed Bishop. I'm from uh, Pekin, Indiana, uh, born and raised here, grew up uh, on a tobacco farm with parents and grandparents had also worked the tobacco farm and worked in the furniture industry making furniture at Kimball's um, and they made a little moonshine on the side and so I've been around that my whole life um, got kind of really tangentially interested in it when I was in my teens for obvious reasons I had had the cool parents that knew that I was going to find trouble and they'd rather find it in the backyard than somewhere else um, you know the kind of dad that was like oh yeah you can have your friends over and if their parents don't care if they drink they can drink but we're gonna wake up at five o'clock in the morning and cut wood so get your shit together um, you know, they helped me build a little 10 gallon still when I was 15 years old out of an old, uh, stainless steel coffee dispenser from Fort Knox, Kentucky. And my dad and grandpa gave me two rules. Don't blow your ass up in the backyard and bring us something that's <laughs> worth drinking. So that's, that started it all off. And then by the time I was in my early twenties, I'd taken over the old tobacco farm and we had converted it into a, uh, what we call ecologically grown produce farms. So not really organic certified, but doing the best you can within the Ohio Valley, which, you know, everything here wants to kill everything you grow. Um, but that led me down, down this road of plant breeding. And what I was really looking for were plants that uh, could stand up to growing with very little human intervention, uh, which is great, except for the fact that you live in the Ohio Valley. And if you do the farmer's market and you think you're going to make any money off of that um, or subscription farming at that time, Everybody and their brother grows everything that you have. And, uh, you know, you can be the first one to market with whatever and your neighbor will pull up with a trunk full of tomatoes and sell them for nothing. 
So you don't really make any money. But that got me more interested in distillation because, you know, distilling, it's been forgotten, is an agrarian art. It's very agriculturally centered. You know, it's all about what can you do with whatever you have agriculturally that you can grow. So I started wondering, you know, what happens when I run this weird corn through the still that I can't get anybody else to grow or buy? And that really got me really, really down the rabbit hole distilling and and probably when I was about 27 years old or so. Um, within a couple of years of that, the show Moonshiners came out um, and I was running 150 gallon pot in my parents' backyard. Uh, it was out in the open, dude. I literally, I remember one time being out there and running this thing. It was an old milk stirator tank is what it was uh, that we built a copper head and everything for. And I literally saw the helicopters flying over looking for marijuana and this dude's hanging out of the helicopter and he sees it and I'm, I'm, can't do anything. He just leans out and he waves. And I'm like, as long as he don't come back, it's all, <laughs> it's all good. Right. But, uh, uh, about that time people, you know, and I guess it wasn't hard to figure out what I was doing, but people started showing up with my jars, to parties and stuff and asking me to sign jars. And, uh, you know, my wife was like, uh, now, now wife, she was my fiance then. She's like, nope, you got to go get a job doing this. So I worked at, uh, got hired on at Copper and Kings. I was there for two years, but I wanted to get back on the Indiana side of the river because even though all my family's from Kentucky, I'm a firstborn Hoosier, but I knew the history of Indiana distillation. And there's no Fred Minnick. There's no Mike Veach. There's no Steve Coombs. There's nobody over here writing about that history. And it was kind of a lost, uh, sort of lost subdivision of what distillation history was for this little six county region that we live in Washington, Orange, Lawrence, Crawford, Harrison, Perry County, because there was this huge culture of apple brandy production, but also whiskey production using techniques that have surprisingly very little to do with the traditional techniques of Kentucky. The, the closest thing that they tend to mirror in a lot of ways is some of the Pennsylvania stuff and then a lot of stuff in the black forest of Germany. Um, and always very, very clannish. So something that was kind of proud for them, I think, is they were never part of the uh, whiskey ring and the whiskey trust never, ever had any representation within this group of distillers. Um, I would even suggest that probably the whiskey trust and the whiskey ring were afraid to try to deal with these guys, if I had to guess, because it's very much it's very much like Appalachia in the way that people stick together. So I want to get over here and play into that. Got hired on at Spirits of French Lick and uh, been there since... I guess it's been a little over eight years now. So I got hired in, in November. Yeah, November, eight years ago. We started distilling. It'll be eight years, April of this year. So um, mottos respect the grain. And then the, the whole idea of that is, you know, that grain has terroir in the same way that grapes do. For sure. Um, we're running pot still distillation. So it's all about retention and concentration of flavor. So we approach our distillations very differently. No matter what we do, we're approaching it more like brandy distillers where we want a 50 50 sort of blend and balance we want 50 percent raw material fermentation and distillation and then 50 percent maturation so that no matter how old something gets listen if you're going to put weeded bourbon on your label no matter how old that bourbon gets you better still be able to taste the positive attributes of the wheat otherwise what's the point of using alternative grains sure. so our our four kind of pillars are bourbon botanical spirits american whiskeys um <laughs> i got lost in there somewhere and brandies yeah that's it. There's four of them there. <laughs> so, but it's very much a ready fire aim philosophy. You know, you never know what's going to stick and what's going to work. And being a craft distiller, you got to be quick on your feet and be able to turn on a dime. And not all that stuff works all the time. You know, I thought Aquavit was going to be a big thing for gin instead of gin there for a little while. And it has its moments in the sun. It comes around every two or three years, gets big for a hot second and goes away. But um, 
you know, we've made enough Aquavit at Spirits of French Lick that they probably won't have to make it for another 20 or 30 years. So <laughs> probably re replace the entirety of the American market of Aquavit with what we have in the warehouse right now would be my guess. <laughs> I know that uh, I've been looking out for... Uh, do you guys have distribution? You do have distribution in Kentucky, yes? We do through Heritage Spirits. So um, it's it's kind of limited distribution because Heritage kind of just sort of does like they do kind of the northern arc of Kentucky, but and then down to Lexington. And then I've pushed them really hard to try to get them into Owensboro because we have pretty good following in Owensboro. And they seem seem somewhat reluctant to go over there, but I think we have enough people calling for it that they'll get over there. So I, I live in Lexington, but I'm from the western end of the state. So I, I and then my dad lives right in the middle in mm -hmm. Elizabethtown. And um, the only way that I was able to get my hands on this particular bottle was in, was from Sealbox. Um, I, I, I haven't sure. seen it around Lexington. Um, I'm definitely keeping my eyes open. I am. Um, I, I became aware of Copper and Kings because I, I used to I briefly worked with a gentleman that was a distiller at copper and Kings. Um, and, um, nice. and then we went to copper and Kings and, uh, now I already had a, a pretty healthy appreciation for brandy before we went there. But once we were there, um, Jerry's right. That's where we really fell in love with the spirit itself. And we, we went in there with the preconception, at least myself and Jerry. And, um, we went with two other guys that are actually from Indiana. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, one of them, and Jerry and myself, uh, we went in with the preconception that we were going to purchase the peach brandy. Right. Um, and then we tried the apple and then we tried the barrel strength apple. And we all three of us left with a bottle of the barrel strength apple. Nice. Um, then when this came available on seal box, it like, as soon as Jerry told me it was there, I was pressing the button. Instabot. Yeah, buying it like <laughs> I mean, like I I didn't I didn't even look at the price what it cost on Sealbox until after I had already purchased it. Mm -hmm. um, well, I'll tell you too. Uh, uh, right down the road there in Frankfurt, usually the seller carries our stuff down there. Okay, um, that's usually a pretty good place to get it. If they don't have something on hand, you can ask them, and they'll usually grab it pretty quick. Um, and then there's another one down there. There's a restaurant that's associated with that. I can't the the stave or something like that they usually carry our stuff there as well. Okay. I'll have to look into that. Um, mm -hmm. because yeah, I, I would like to try the other, the other spirits that you guys produce. I've, I've only recently within the last year or so really developed an appreciation for gin, anything botanical related, um, to an extent. Um, Paul introduced me to a, um, absinthe that, um, I actually liked, um, you know, that's, it's a spirit that involves botanicals, not necessarily the same type of yep. situation as gin, but, um, no, ab absinthe is my behind apple brandy. That's my second favorite drink. So yeah, this yeah, was absolutely. Paul. What was that? It was, it was Royce Neely's Neely's. Yeah. Nice. Good yeah. Deal. Pretty it good. Was, um, it was really fucking good. Like it I was, only have a little bit of the absinthe Le Bleu left. I was going to send Adam some of that nice. too. Yeah. The Le Bleu is a good, a good starter absinthe. And we did that. You know, I did, I ran the absinthe program there at Copper and Kings, um, which was a little bit more like Ozu than absinthe really. But it's also because at that time, you know, absinthe still, and it's still like this to some degree, like you get 10 people in the distillery, you're lucky if one of them really likes absinthe. So we did that Le Bleu as a lighter style because it was, 
it was a way to break people into it without just completely turning them off to the category, you know, and then just doing like a root beer, you know, a highball sort of thing, or even a root beer float with some ice cream. That seemed to be a way to open that door to get people going, oh shit, you know, root beer has a lot of the same flavors as absinthe. How did I not realize that before? And so does Dr. Pepper, actually. Dr. Mm -hmm. Pepper's got a lot of the same flavors as root beer, and uh, it's probably got more in common with root beer than it does absinthe, but it has some of yeah. those same, the anise and things like that, which I really, Dr. Pepper's my favorite soda. Mm -hmm. um, I love root beer, too, um, but my experience with absinthe has been largely uh, a bottle of, uh, I don't even know how you pronounce I don't know if I'm pronouncing it properly, absinthe, the one that's yeah, 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 yeah. On, the on the box. Um, my cousin gave it to me as a wedding gift for being in his wedding or I gave it to me as a groomsman's gift for being in his wedding. And it was disgusting. Um, right. And, and I, I, we, we have another friend from Indiana that was like, well, I'll take it. Let me have it. And he was going to come through and he failed to do so twice. And then uh, a friend of mine was over here the other day. And he was like, Oh, I, I, I love absinthe. And I was like, here, take, take this bottle and get it out of my house. It's, it's gross. It's taking up space. Was anyway, it? um, that Neely's was really, really good. Um, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, I, I I was looking on the website earlier. Um, like I knew that you guys made bourbon and I knew you guys made gin. I didn't know anything about the absinthe. Um, and of course I'm familiar with the brandy. So um I'm real excited to see Paul's reaction to this to this particular spirit. So let's get on to the spirit of the week. Well, as a, a real quick aside, I'm gonna throw this in, out to you. So I'll I'll find a way to get you a sample of it when it's ready. So it's not ready yet. So you like Dr. Pepper. I literally right. this summer just did a botanical spirit that was based on the original Dr. Pepper recipe from the apothecary. Uh, and you literally, <laughs> as a white spirit, you could drop that into a Dr. Pepper and you'd have no clue that there was alcohol in it. I mean, it okay. just went perfectly. So she's sitting in a, um, I think, a weird-ass Oregon oak barrel right now. So okay. we're going to see what she does. That is very interesting to me. Um, one of those uh Gariana oaks or whatever they're called, yeah, yeah, a bad motivator, yeah, they're, they're little, funky, little two gallon bad mo, yeah. I like them, I like them for apple brandy, ironically. I haven't, I haven't got to experiment with them at any length to see the maturation process, you know, really play out. But what I've seen so far, I'm really impressed by. So sorry for the interruption, man. I, I just you oh. mentioned that, and I was like, oh, I gotta <laughs> no tell problem. this dude, I <laughs> got, got a Dr. Pepper spirit, man. Hey, this is uh, this is your show, so feel free to interrupt anytime that you want to. Um, but um, on to this spirit, this is uh, we, we've been we've been hinting like crazy, you know, spirits, French lick, high proof, whatever. It's coming in 147 proof, um, well above what one would consider you know, to be standard hazmat. This right. is the old Clifty Hoosier apple brandy. And um, like I said earlier, it's a punch to the face and instant heartburn. Um, if you're not on a prescription heartburn pill, like I am, you might want to consider getting, you know, a Zantac or something at the store before you drink it. And it's a heartburn in the, in, in the good way. It does burn I mean, it's 147 proof alcohol. It's going to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it doesn't burn, then you might need to get checked out. There's something fucked up with the nerves. Yeah. I mean, you're only three proof points away from not being able to sell it in certain states. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, exactly. a, it's on the verge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one, 151 down here in Florida. Mm -hmm. yeah, the nose, on, yeah. On the nose, it doesn't. I mean, you could, you could have given this to me and, 
I wouldn't have guessed it's 147. On the nose, it tastes like it's weird, but it tastes or it smells to me like apple beer, not apple cider. There's like yep. a beer, like a multi note in there almost, but yep. apples have hit you right in the face. But it doesn't. I've, I mean, I've I've got my nose into some 120 proofers that you know that nose hotter than this. So we'll see. Yeah, the the yeast on that apple brandy is what you're is what you're getting. So that is I should mention this up front. That is the McCoy family yeast strain from the old McCoy distillery started in 1862 in Orange County, Indiana. Uh, we actually captured that out of the old distillery. Yeah, that that maltiness comes through on the palate too. Um, tons of apples. Yeah, I mean, yeah, nice little tingle on your lips. We definitely, definitely know it's 147 on the palate, but the apples. I mean, it's like liquid apples. And then there's the finish of some like oaky maltiness that reminds me of a, like a bready beer type of deal. I'm yeah. good, thank you. Sorry, that's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Um, my uh, wife just walked in, so I had to had to talk to her for a minute. But uh, yeah, man. Uh, and some of these that you guys will come across too, some of these higher proof ones that we did, like if you ever end up up around Indianapolis, stop in the Final Third Cigar Bar. Um, those guys in Indiana Bourbon, they picked two half barrels of hazmat apple brandy. One was 142 and one was way up there. It was like 149 point something. But you even even on the, the burn on the on the, you know, because the alcohol proof. It was almost non-existent on those two. I mean, you could have blinded me on them, and I'd have been like, "No, that's like 110 proof apple brandy." Like it was. Those guys had usually it's me that does this. Those two, those two guys had me plastered when we were done that day. <laughs> I literally sat in my office for like three hours. I called my wife, and she's like, "You about to come home?" I'm like, not for a while. <laughs> well, this, uh, I mean, to me. I get the apples and all that, but right on the back end of it, I get a little, like a swipe across my tongue of some vanilla. So it's almost like vanilla ice cream with apple pie. Just Yeah. And uh, I, I love, I mean, I've had this bottle for, I don't know, since I guess since it hit Sealbox, this is the first release on Sealbox. And, um, you know, I've been nursing it. I don't get into it real often, <laughs> but it's most of the, most of the damn bottles gone. So I've, Got about a fourth of a bottle left, a little more than that. Um, yeah, and that, that vanilla that you're getting, I'm pretty sure, if I remember right, that particular release was from a new oak barrel. So that's probably a Kelvin oh. number Kelvin number two char uh, is what's there. And if I remember right, there's a little, just a tiny little bit of a smoke note to that one as well. Yes, sir. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting to watch. So typically with brandy, when you're when you're putting brandy into the barrel, you're going in at still proof and you're proofing down slowly over time. And that's what we do for our, our Hoosier Apple Brandy, our hundred proof, our bottled and bond. And I could be remiss if I didn't tell you guys this because I think you'll you'll enjoy it. So this whole hazmat apple brandy shit, it started off as a joke, is what it started off as. <laughs> what would happen was people would come through and they'd want to do a barrel pick. And when I get to run barrel picks, as they let me run them from time to time. What I like to do is I will bring the group in, we'll get a drill, and I will take you to whatever, you tell me what categories you're interested in, we'll go to those categories, and I'll say as long as it's within this age range, we'll drill it. I don't care if I've never tasted it before, I'm about to learn as much about what I do as what you learn about what I do. Well, you do four or five of those in the morning, and the whiskeys are low entry proof, they're 105, so in the lower warehouse, they raise up to maybe 108, 114 at the highest, and in the higher warehouse, they drop to 102, maybe even down to 98, but they're awesome because you don't have to add any water to them. They're just naturally almost bottled and bond. Well, you get through four or five barrels and, you know, guys are like, well, we're taking these two barrels and then let's take a lunch break and we'll come back after lunch. Well, right before they'd go to lunch, I'd be like, you know what? 
I've got some apple brandy at proof that I want you guys to try. And to be completely honest with you, it's just, I'm going to get you plastered before you go to lunch. So you come back and you want to buy another barrel. Yeah. <laughs> well, this kind of got out and turned into a thing. So the first group that came in was the NES group out of, out of Kentucky. I don't know if you're familiar with them or not, but they I do. am. I am actually, I've got a bottle of their, uh, it's, it's a good times apple brandy finished yep. bourbon. Yeah. It's really fucking good. Shit. It's good. That was the wildest barrel pick I've ever seen. Not so much from people drinking, but the the people that were on that pick, like it was all over the place. I mean, they were like kindergartners, you know, at, at the zoo, like you couldn't keep up with them. But <clears throat> it was their idea to do the hazmat apple brandy. And they're like, well, we don't just want to do a hazmat apple brandy. We want to do one of the, the tequila barrel brandies because we have some apple brandy that's been matured 100% from day one in tequila barrel. And I'm like, okay. But they said, well, I want a half a barrel. And I'm like, well, that means we have to take a half and put it in the tasting room. And I talked the owners into it. And I'm like, I'm just telling you right now, it's going to it's gonna set in our tasting room for months because nobody knows what the hell to do with that, right? At 140 plus proof in a tequila barrel and it's apple brandy. Like you, you don't get any weirder than that, right? So we do this and we put ours out. We put it on Facebook and it sells out in 48 hours. Our half the barrel was gone from the tasting room in 48 hours. I'm like, well okay well apparently this tequila barrel thing worked out all right but i don't know about the hazmat part then people started calling wanting hazmat apple brandy and i'm like well we just kind of accidentally became the hazmat apple brandy company i guess because nobody else is doing that shit so well thank god for it because this is this is fucking fantastic and Mm -hmm. and just run through different scenarios in my head already i know that i would like to try this uh finished in a rum barrel yeah, that would be really cool. Um, in fact, I could probably I haven't done a rum barrel apple brandy. We did do a smoked apple brandy, so it was an Isla Scotch barrel, which that's probably one of my favorite things I've ever released. Um, but I might reach out to Turner Wathen and and grab a rum barrel from him for some apple brandy might be a cool little project. So Yeah, I think that would be I think that would turn out pretty fantastic. Um mm-hmm. just you know yeah. the way it's translating from my head to my tongue like maybe maybe you know maybe, maybe it turns out like shit but i don't think it would never know until you try yeah the right. other thing yeah. i should say here too um because i didn't do it earlier so distribution wise uh we are going through mash networks now as well and they go through like 47 states or something goofy like that i don't know but um great company to work with and the distribution thing is weird kentucky and indiana we obviously have distribution in um indiana was like a really late adopter of what we do and kentucky is sort of like on the fence about what we do for some reason our markets are all southeast down along the gulf into the southwest um i haven't quite figured out that if there's a culinary thing that's happening there and also canada of all places that's the markets that really louisiana texas north carolina south carolina tennessee's starting to come on pretty heavy those are really our, our heavy, heavy markets for some reason. So, well, I, I'm headed down to Texas at the beginning of next year. So I'll, I'll make sure to hit some of those liquor stores down there. And, and yeah, Liquor King is the one you want to check out for sure. Okay. Is that in Dallas? Do you happen to know? There's, yeah. I think there's Dallas, Fort Worth, and Allen. They've got several, several outlets in that, that sort of area right there. Okay. I'll, I'll have to definitely look. I went down there. Of course, you know, I did the obligatory search for the Weller 12 and all this. And, right found one you know so why the fuck not it was retail it was 45 bucks for the weller type you know brought it back whatever um 
And that, that was because it was my first time in Texas, period. And I'd always heard it was more out of curiosity than anything. Well, I've already always heard that Texas gets the biggest allotment, whatever. So in my head, any store that I go into, there's going to be fucking, you know, at least six bottles sitting on the shit. That's not the case. That's that's not how it works at all. Um, but, um, you know, this this is not this is not an allocated thing. This is um, I like to fly under the radar type bottles myself yeah. the ones that uh, the ones that are really fucking good that nobody that nobody really right. knows about <clears throat> so well that's that's a fun for me as a producer too is I always say that we're like uh we're like the evil dead of distillers right and before <laughs> evil dead got popular like you had to know what it was somebody had to bootleg a tape for you send you a weird bottle with masking tape on it or some shit or you'd never know it existed and i don't think i'd have nearly as much fun if it was uh Hey, I'd be bored as shit if I ever got hired by a big distillery. Like, I have no desire to do that job. I like playing in the minor leagues. And and B, there's something cool about not having a huge following. But say you have, you know, even personally, if you have 3,000 people that follow the stuff that you do, it's so much cooler than having 400,000 people because the 3,000 people will buy everything that you ever do. You know, the 400,000, how many of them do you really get to pay any attention to anything that you're doing? Right. So. Right. Much rather have that dedicated little little annoying pissant army, <laughs> you know, pushing the guys that are doing reviews and shit. Like, hey, check this out. Hey, hey, here's another bottle. Hey, have you opened that yet? I mean, you know, so I mean, I live in Kentucky, so I've got access to all the big guys, and then I've got access to some of the little guys that are around here. Mm -hmm. um, a good thing about what we do here: Jerry's in Florida, Paul's in Maryland, so Paul has access to rye whiskeys that I will never see here. Rye oh, yeah. whiskeys I've never heard of. Jerry has access to rums that, um, you know, a couple of years ago, he sent me a rum care package. I had like 20 sample bottles of rums that I will never see in Kentucky. Um, found a real appreciation for some, some really cool stuff in there. And then, um, um, you know, this, uh, the, the brandy game, I think, uh, between you guys and copper and Kings, probably got that covered i don't i don't know if anybody could really compete with it with with what you guys have going on and i might be a little biased um because of this particular bottle but i, I personally think that you you've you've probably got a leg up on copper and kings and i know that that was that was your thing back in the day but that's not your thing now this is right. this is your thing now and uh this if if i could buy this bottle on the shelf every day um i would probably buy and go through a bottle of this at least every month because 147 proof liquors that's that's pretty hard to go through real fast but <laughs> it is if if i could if i could manage it i, I would probably i would probably go through it once a month at least because this is this is absolutely fantastic well, uh jerry we've not that. heard anything from you how are you feeling about it over there no um starting out just straight from the the bottle 147 proof it's just like a punch in the face of apple uh, towards the end. You get a little bit of like that malty crustiness to it to make it like a uh, an apple pie uh, mm -hmm. that just wants to kill you. Um, <laughs> I put a couple drops of water in. It helps out a little bit, um, but it, it smooths it out a little bit. So you're not getting that 147 punch right to the face, but it, it's still just apple and apple crust like apple pie crust a little bit of cinnamon awesome. maybe some of that like clove or 
basically like that cinnamon spice or the apple spice sort of deal. Um, yeah. Um, I saw this on Sealbox and I, I actually looked it up before this earlier in the day. I think it was like 65 bucks on Sealbox yep. or, or 70 bucks, somewhere around that range. It's still on Sealbox right now? No, 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 no. It oh, was okay. up there for a good while. Because I kept yeah. telling myself, I'm going to buy another bottle later. I'm going to buy it. And I just kept pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. And finally, they sold out after. Yep. A, yeah, it's hard to get probably people, like to, a year. people to buy it on Apple Brandy, right? Because they, they just don't know. Or, they, or they've or they had mm-hmm. Apple Brandy and it, they don't, they don't, you know, it's well, not been a great one, you know. For so. me, I've had like that, uh, like the cheaper brandies that you find bottom shelf at the stores. Yeah. Just like, this stuff is complete garbage like the stuff like your grandparents would drink or something like e and j and shit like that yeah 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 you, you, um, get, you get that or you get the um the stuff that that you would i think some people go into it unfortunately being like oh apple brandy is going to taste like you know green apple jolly rancher or some shit you know and or, it doesn't yeah, just too sweet shouldn't. yeah but it, it's not at all it, it mm-hmm. i've had some like that butcher town i was drinking earlier it's right up there with some some whiskeys I've had. It's a little bit sweeter, obviously, because it's it's from what it's made from. But um, it's fantastic. Um, I lost train of thought where I was going. But anyways, um, yeah, it's just punch in the face apple, a little bit of like a crustiness. Um, it's going great with the cigar. Um, well, I'm a, yeah, I'm a huge I, advocate just in general for apple brandy. So to hear you guys talk about any of those apple brandies, including Copper and Kings, is worthwhile because I'm gonna, I'll, even though you guys another one to seek out if you can find it, and I'm not going to tell you it's going to be easy to find. Um, Hubert Robin, specifically, if you can find any of their their single varietal apple brandies, um, seek those out because okay. they are they're a whole another league. Um, and then Hubers. Uh, they, sometimes for me, Huber's has been a little hit or miss in the past on apple brandy for me. I will tell you that I was up there recently and, and I'm very good friends with, with the boys and with Ted uh, and they're good people, but I will tell you, I was up there recently and I got to taste their new bottled and bond that Jason was working on that day. And, uh, if it is reflective of what he let me taste, they've stepped up their game on apple brandy in a big way. So. Well, the, the apple brandy that I had was. It was pretty fucking tasty, but I, I have to say, and I, I think that you probably had and might even agree. I know Jerry does. Uh, doesn't hold a candle to that pear brandy because pears, damn good. God, yeah. that pear brandy they had was just, and I mean, it was one hundred and sixty dollars a bottle when we were there. And I, mm-hmm. I know I and Jerry and I and I have talked about this a number of times. We both nearly pulled the trigger and we we had i mean that was the trip when we were in louisville we you know we went to copper kings went to old forester uh we ended up walking out with a you know a, a birthday bourbon we went to evan williams ended up walking out with a 12 year um we were going to peerless and mictors and all these places and um huber farms was just kind of thrown in at the last minute it wasn't really yeah. it, it wasn't on our, our original itinerary but we had a whole lot of time between one distillery and another um so we went on up there and uh i really thought about laying down 160 bucks and walking out with that bottle and then when they said that they were almost out i almost drove from lexington all the way up there to get that because uh you know now it's gone and um and the trees are gone 
Yeah, the trees yeah. are gone. Yeah, that's yeah. that's why they're making apple brandy now because they've yeah. replaced all those pear trees with apple trees. Well, and that was that was a beautiful thing about that release. Uh, you know, just a shout out to those guys at Huber's is that was that pear brandy release was really uh, uh one of those things that as a very as a very involved distiller, that's one of those things that like when you hear about, you're like, nope, like I as a distiller, I have to go get this, you know. Um, and it, it's it's financially it's very difficult to to deal with pear in particular because you're only going to end up with about four percent alcohol to begin with, and there's really only one variety and sub varieties of that one variety that make good pear brandy, and it's Williams or what they call Homestead, um, you know. And it, it, that was an old fashioned thing, you know. That was that was a, the pears that lined. I think they lined the road to Ted's dad's house, the boy's grandpa's house. Um, and that was something that all Hoosiers that were of German ancestry had at one point in time. And now you see very, very few of them out there. Well, it was, um, <clears throat> I mean, the bottle was beautiful in and of itself, the shape, the, yeah. the, the, you know, the, whatever the, the decorations they had on the front of it, whatever you want to call that, but the, the brandy itself. So, I mean, they have a great tasting experience. You know, you pay very little money and they, they give you quite a few things to try. And if you want to try, you know, I think they give you like, it's like 13 or 15 different things to try. If you want to try 15 of the same thing, they'll probably allow that. I didn't try that, but I think they, they might be able to make that happen. Anyway, that pear brandy was um, the best thing that oh, I yeah. tried there. And that's, that's, I'm a very big fan of Huber wines. I'm a very big fan of Starlight. I've got several, um, there's actually a liquor store here in town that you might, or well, close to in the next town over. It, it's called Happy Hour Liquor. I think they've mm -hmm. been up there to do a a pick with you guys, um, but they they did a, uh, a, a a several different Starlight picks that were finished in sherry barrels and um, port barrels. And that that damn that port barrel finished bourbon is just I have I bought like three four bottles of that. I've got a Good Times over here that they did finished in in maple syrup barrels and it's got a nice. a, a, a sticker of will ferrell in elf putting maple syrup I, i'm pretty spaghetti. sure i've seen that one i think amzy winning had one of those he let me try one time yeah and it and and, and it's it works really <laughs> well because it's a rye whiskey it's really fucking good but anyway um the the starlight they or huber farms they not only is the campus beautiful, but what they produce is fantastic. And mm -hmm. um, I'm a very big fan of theirs, so I'm glad that you brought them up. But I would like to uh, get up there and, and and see you guys. And I know that at some point, I think next year, we've talked about possibly doing the trip here in Kentucky again because there were some changes being made um, with some of the things that we went to see last year with RD1 and and Jay Henry or, or Bourbon 30 or, or – not Jay Henry, I'm sorry, uh, Bourbon 30 or um, – Jay Mattingly. Yeah, yeah, Jay Mattingly. Um, and a couple other places. Um, yeah, you got to uh, go check out Dark Arts, too, with Macaulay Mitten. Yeah, and um, Blue Run. I want I want to see that new spot when it opens up, too. Um, but um, at any rate, um, at some point, I think we're talking about doing, doing an Indiana trip because we want to come oh, see yeah. you guys. We want to see West Fork. We want to... You know, if we can get a tour at MGP, you know, we want to go see those guys. My my grandfather used to work there years ago, years and years ago, when I like thirty something years ago. Um, 
and I'm sure it's changed quite a bit since I was there, but I'd, I'd like to go back and check that out. But, Oh man, I bet you'd be surprised. I bet it it's pretty, pretty close to the same. It, um, I've been there once and I think we're about to go again. Uh, I always joke that it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of like 95, five rabbit. I love what MGP does in general. And the fact that they kept the lights on for Indiana, but that place is like, it's like the Willy Wonka of whiskey for sure. And I also love, I don't know how much you guys know about that history, but I love the fact that at one point in time when that was all Seagram stuff. So that distillery, the one up in uh, Canada, there was one in the Caribbean and then there was O'Neill brothers, which is out in California, the brandy distillery. So I've been to three of those four distilleries. They were literally no shit guys. They were laid out exactly the same where they could take you from one distillery to another one, drop you in and they would not have to tell you where the bathrooms, the fire extinguisher or the mop closet was. You would automatically know where it was. I guess that's one way to uh, not have to pay an architect four times. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, hell, they were so good to their employees, too. It is crazy. They uh, I wouldn't say good. Let me take that back. They're good about educating their employees. So if they came out with a piece of distillation literature and you work there and you were the fucking janitor, they gave you the fucking book. That's awesome. Because they wanted you to know how to do all the jobs in there. So that's awesome. And my grandfather, he, he went from uh, he retired from Coca-Cola and mm-hmm. uh, he worked for them for a long fucking time since like the 50s until the 90s i was seven so 1990 and then he moved to uh he retired from there and he went to uh uh mg or well it was it was it was called uh he he technically worked for a company called propac which is adjacent to but it Mm -hmm. was the same it was the seagram's distillery at the time but that's what he worked in the distillery his office was actually in the distillery itself and you know, that was the first time I ever smelled mash right. uh, was when I went to go to his office, you know, and he had a lot of really cool shit in his office that they gave to him and a lot of cool shit from Coke when he worked there and whatever. And then he he left there to go work for a Pepsi company, uh, a Pepsi plant in here in Kentucky. Anyway, um, that was my first experience with distillation. And it's it's kind of in my blood. My my his dad um was uh he wasn't a distiller he was a constable in chicago and um he was on the take from al capone yep <laughs> well, um, that makes sense so it's you know it, it kind of trickles down my dad didn't have anything to do with it but it you know grandfather great-grandfather me anyway that was that was i guess that's kind of kind of the bug for me anyways but um i definitely want to go check them out you know, go back to Huber Farms, come up, see you guys, go to West Fork. Um, I know there's a couple others that are around there. Um, Tell you what, West Fork's new facility, too, is absolutely gorgeous. Is it? Uh, yes, it is. They've done a, a fantastic job. And, and again, great guys there, too. Um, another one, they'd be a little further north for you guys, but Old 55 is a good one to check out. Um, uh, if you want a real variety of things, like a crazy variety of things, even beyond what I do, Cardinal Spirits is worthwhile um over in bloomington hard truth of course you know if you're into rye whiskey you know those guys are they're uh they're doing indiana style rye but they're i'm be honest here they're doing it in my opinion in a way that i find more accessible than what mgp traditionally has done are they not Uh, sourcing from mgp so they have sourced some stuff in the past from mgp but most of what most of what they're putting in the bottle at this point is what they're actually producing okay good for them good for Mm -hmm. them i mean i 
I'm a big fan of MGP rides. I, I do like the 95 five mm-hmm. ride. That is, that is something that's pleasing to my palate. Um, Good. but you know, Paul, uh, being out there in Maryland, man, he's, he's, uh, he sent me a lot of rides that, um, really, you know, kind of opened my eyes to what rye mm-hmm. whiskey can be. And there's, there's a lot out there that it, it's, it's, it's a lot more versatile, of a grain than people think that it is. It is. And there's great stuff happening in Maryland and Pennsylvania, both. In fact, I would, I would tell you guys as a group, and I've been telling other people this here lately, keep an eye on Pennsylvania. There's really cool shit happening in Pennsylvania. Um, I actually have a project potential project coming up in Pennsylvania. That'll be a long-term collaboration. I'm not going to be working there or moving there or anything like that, but long-term sort of thing that I'm doing there. Um, but definitely stolen wolf is doing cool shit. Liberty poles doing cool shit. And like you said, rye is way more versatile than what people think of. They either think 95, five Indiana, or they think 51% Kentucky. There's all kinds of stuff in between, you know, that's awesome. That's right. Yeah, down, awesome. down here in Florida, it seems to be about like <clears throat> 60, 40, 63 or 65, 35, somewhere mm-hmm. around there. Um, that it's, it's definitely a lot different than that 95.5. So yeah. people, I guess, get used to that and they try this and they're like, oh, it's not that good. Like, right. They're no, not used to it. Fine. They just don't know. Yeah. But you keep drinking that 95.5. I'll keep drinking this stuff down here. That's why we did. <laughs> when we did our Solomon Scott, we went straight up. Damn George Washington, Mashville, 60% rye, 35 corn, five malt. And then we threw victory malt in because we're the assholes that have to throw brewers malt in everything we do. So <laughs> now, I, I mean, I, you, you mentioned the, um, moonshiners show and I, i've seen it beginning to end every episode i don't know how many times and i recently started watching it again and um because it's you know i work from home um i do it stuff so i'll just have something on in the background and um one of the episodes i watched the other day it was it was um mark and, and jeff and jim tom doing the the george washington recipe and um i can't lie uh you know, not the first time that I felt this way. And I, I felt it again. I, I want to try it. I want to try it. I want to find that recipe or I want to find somebody that has made it and buy a jar. I, I want to try it just mm-hmm. because, you know, um, I personally wanted one of the things that I went that, that I, that I enjoy so much about spirits in this country is that it's, it's the country doesn't move forward without the production of spirits. So it, it's, in, it's, it's, intertwined in the in the history of this country there's not much else we make nowadays yeah you know as far as manufacturing there's not a whole lot else on a wide scale that we make right it's the one thing we got left but yeah check out that solomon scott they they should have that on the the mash networks thing too um and we went we purposely went the opposite of like peerless and everybody else we didn't do a two-year rye and not that there was anything wrong with what they did because it was delicious we took ours out to five years it's the one product that we made sure that we went an extra year on. And now it's actually bumping up to six year. And there's, we have a weird thing going on where I've always kept back some barrels and we always try to get to bottled and bond on everything. But what we're learning is so like Lee Sinclair at four years is really good. Our four grain Mashville at five years, I'll be honest with you. It's trash. Really? <laughs> but at six years, <laughs> it comes back around. And we've got a couple of mash bills that are like that. There's just, a, there's a couple of weird areas where things fall, where they just don't quite work the way you'd think they would. And you don't think it could be, could it be 
the terroir from the grain or from the wood itself or okay. any of that no because we we've seen it advance within that year um in between and i'll tell you too the other weird thing that we had this year and these are dynamic things that really take take a distillery decades to really figure out why and all that stuff but I, i've talked to some other distillers that experiences this this year too in indiana and kentucky we had such a mild winter that coming back into the spring so barrels like in the middle of winter don't ever do a, a barrel pick in january they do not taste right from like mid-december up through january and into february even they kind of taste like shit because everything's contracted everything's pulled back out of the barrel same thing is true when you get into August and September, everything's pushed into the barrel. They don't sure. taste right. But usually once it starts warming up, once you get into say May and June, things kind of turn around this year, because the winter was so mild, everything got pushed back a full month. Things didn't really start tasting right until the end of June this year. And I'm afraid the way the weather looks right now, we're going to run into that shit again this next year. So. Yeah. You know. You know, I, as long as it, as long as it turns out, right. It Right. It, as long as it turns out, I mean, it, if it turns out before it ends up getting cold, uh, mm -hmm. great. If it doesn't, then. Yep. It just makes bottling for bottling <laughs> bottled and bond a little bit of a bitch, you know, cause you're offsetting everything by so much. So, but uh, it all turned out good this year. I'm, I'm happy with it. I would, uh, you know, none of us like cold weather, but I'll tell you, I would, uh, I would appreciate a good cold winter to help help with some of the whiskeys with where they're at right now so uh, get one of them so fucking polar vortexes coming in and whipping our ass for a couple of weeks <laughs> now i mean we we get a lot of the same weather down here that that you guys do up there i mean it's 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 similar enough i i wouldn't say in the winters that it's necessarily the same but spring and summer is pretty close but um is is bottled and bond is that something that's pretty important to you guys up there um i mean i i personally consider it to be a you know a, a, a even to this day even though pretty much every warehouse is technically a bonded warehouse because they're all government regulated at this point but you know that's still kind of a a, a hallmark of quality uh going back you know over 100 yeah. years so is that is that is that something that still holds true for you guys for me it definitely was. And I think for the company, it is now as part of our ethos of, of who, who spirits of French lick are. So, you know, I was lucky enough to come into a company where I got to kind of write the rules and for better or worse, I might've painted myself into a corner a little bit because, you know, the rules were I wanted to get everything, the bottled and bond. I wanted to do botanical spirits and, and have good cocktail stuff and things like that. And I also wanted to make sure that nothing but barrel and water ever touched anything we did. So anything we do post distillation is literally barrel and water and then just a simple uh felt filter is all it is that's all we filter we just filter to pull out particulate nothing else sure so i and i had the same thought you did and at the time you know craft distillers hadn't really started doing bottled and bond all that much yet so i thought at the very least in the consumer's mind no matter how good the distiller was right or how bad the distiller was there's at least this guarantee that everything's a product of one distiller one distillery in one season aged for at least four years and bottled at 100 proof so you at least have a guarantee that you are getting those things. I think it makes you, it's a little more comfortable for someone to pick up a, a new brand when they see that and have an understanding of it, at least traditional drinkers than it is, you know, something that doesn't have that. I'm not sure how much it matters to people say sub 30 years old. Cause I've noticed that they're the ones that are a little harder to market to, but they're also fun to market to. And I'll tell you why they, um they don't give a fuck. 
They don't care that you're bottled and bond. They don't give a shit what your history is. They're, they're great though. For this reason, they will not buy the same bottle from you two times ever, ever. But what they will do is if they buy one bottle of yours, that they really like, they'll buy a bottle of every other fucking thing that you make. And so now I'm playing a game of, can you like, can you outlast them to where they get old and they have kids? And then like the last bottle they have is one of your bottles. They're like, Nope, that's my thing. That's the new game. I think is get the, you know, you got to catch them. It sounds bad, but you know, it's, it's sort of like a, being a cigarette company and wanting a chain smoker, you know, sure. you get, you get one on the hook. It's gotta be a big one. So. But you said got to catch them. And my, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm 40, but uh, <laughs> so my mind probably shouldn't go here, but it's going to, Pokemon. That's where my, like, it's like you're a Pokemon. You're not wrong, man. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. And the bad thing is they'd be like, yes, and I identify as one and you can go fuck yourself. I'd be like, put your, put your money in my wallet and that's fine. That's okay. I mean, I get where you're coming from with that, of course. And, and I hate that you're able to say, oh, well, they're, you know, they're not going to buy if, if they like this bottle or they don't, they're, they're not going to buy this bottle twice. Then again, they they might be telling, or they're, I, I guarantee they're telling people that they know, hey, I enjoyed this bottle. I'm, mm -hmm. I, I may not buy it again, but I really liked it. You should try it yourself. Or, you know, they might be taking that bottle home and introducing it to folks that are outside of that demographic. And yeah. that demographic is probably going to pick it up. Um, that's That's exactly what's happening. And I would much rather much rather market to them than to that half of them than to the other half that is pushing this non-alcoholic beverage bullshit, which I'm just going to be honest. I don't think you'll hear very many other distillers say this. And I, I've only heard a few people ring the bell on this. That's fine. If someone wants to abstain from drinking, et cetera, and they want to look cool at a party walking around with a mocktail or whatever, but make no mistake about it. There's big dollars behind all that shit right now. And those big dollars come from certain organizations throughout the world who very much so would love to see nothing more than temperance come back. And it's hard to draw that parallel for a lot of people right now, but they'll see it in their lifetime. They will absolutely see it in their lifetime that there will be a push for some sort of prohibition again, probably in our lifetime. And I think that that's all part of it. Well, that's where it comes in handy to know how to do your own. Fuck yeah, it does. Steal your own. You know, <laughs> and know your tribe. And, 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 and exactly. And, uh, a lot of people don't realize that there's more to it than just making alcohol to, to, to get drunk. There's mm -hmm. medicine. There's, I mean, you, you know, there's, uh, uh, um, um, ammunition applications. There's, um, a lot of distilleries produce rubber during prohibition for the war effort. There's, there's a lot of different things that you can use, but I, I don't think that most people, you know, if they're running out to the mountains and the woods and whatever the hell, um, you know, in a bug out situation or whatever the hell they're, they're, they're not necessarily producing alcohol for, for those that there's antiseptic, uh, applications, there's, uh, you know, medicinal applications, and then there's booze to, you know, drink away your sorrows. And I, I really think that those are probably the most, the three most important applications for, for alcoholic production. Um, and, I don't know. I would think that this country has learned its lesson um, with telling people what they can and cannot do. You know, it's just, it's just like with COVID, you know, the government said you can't go do all these things. And I know myself personally, and there are millions of people like me where 
you know, I, I don't like to go to Walmart. I don't want to go out in public. That's not my thing. Um, I work from home. I, I leave the house for two reasons and neither of them are work. Um, and then I come straight back home. But as soon as you tell me that I can't leave my house, that's the only thing I want to do. So I'm glad to hear you say that because, uh, unfortunately in this industry, as I'm sure you guys have seen or found out, there are a lot of people that come at it from the other direction and, um, they're, they're not easy for someone like me to talk to. So for sure. For sure. Um, and I, I think that, uh, the three of us here and yourself are, we're, we're probably on the same playing field. As far as that goes, we're probably, probably coming at this from the same angle. So, um, you know, uh, to any government official out there that may hear my voice, (laughs) my name is Ed and Bolden and fuck you for prohibition. Uh, (laughs) I'm, I'm not going to speak for any of these three gentlemen. I'm not going to tell you their names, but, um, I'm I'm already on a list somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) One, one more thing before we move on with the, the spirits of French look website, uh, big fan of how, um, everything, at least for the old Clifton, a few other brands, it, it basically, it's, it's, it's all right there. Um, mm-hmm. for a minute, 67 degrees, 14 days goes into a barrel at this prove. Um, they use 120 gallon stripping run 63. Like it's all transparent. Yep. yep. Or 12. Yeah. It's all yeah. transparent on the website, which is amazing. Right. Cause there's a, and then there's the mash bills there. Um, I know a lot of big names that it's near and dear to their heart that they don't want to throw out the mash bill or any of that stuff out there, but it's all right there for the most part on the website. We all enter the uh, maturation process at still proof around 135 at 63 mm-hmm. gallon wine barrels. It's, it's all right there. It's, it's awesome to see, especially that's one of the things that for me, uh, sure about the other two and yourself um one of the things that got me into this well spirits not just whiskey but spirits rabbit hole is it, it's like i like nerding out on it. so yeah to see absolutely everything there it's it was actually really cool to actually see all that on the on the website without actually having to dig around different reviews this and that and some dark web stuff but it, it's all right there <laughs> so it, it's it's awesome to see yeah that's one of the one of the things i'm huge on is being as open as i can be um you're never going to hear me say the words trade and secret in the same fucking sentence because it's stupid (laughs) um you know and and the other things i do outside of spirits of french like the one piece of time distilling institute on youtube that's literally all about Mm -hmm. trying to get home distillers to the next level and telling them things that you know a, a lot of other people charge money for that shit you know yep the only time you ever see me charge any money on anything like that is if somebody wants to do a consult call over the phone and the only reason I did that was because if I didn't, people would blow me up or if I'm selling a book, right? And if I'm selling a book, I'm making sure that it's packed full of enough information that you don't feel like you're getting ripped off for sure. So. Sure. Sure. And and that's one reason why I asked you about the bottle to bond um, importance, because um, one of the first things that really grabbed my attention when I, I, I got into like really took a deep dive in with specifically bourbon. Um, I've been drinking bourbon almost exclusively since I was 19 years old, you know, 20, 21 years of my life, over half of my life. Um, but when I really took a deep dive and jumped in 
feet first. You know, I was, uh, I was going through a program at UK to learn about distillation and, and, um, buying bottles and listening to podcasts and talking to people like Jerry and Paul and, you know, just this and that, whatever, whatever I could find myself to immerse myself in and the bottled and bond act was really, um, you know, the first consumer protection law in the United States of America. It was, it was enacted, you know, nine years before the pure food and drug act. So to put that into perspective for people that are listening to us right now, um, it was enacted nine years before people were worried about their medicine and their food in this country and a lot of that has to do with the potability of the water at that at that time and 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 things of that nature but um it became this bigger thing where it was a signature of quality um there was it wasn't tampered with it was you knew exactly where it came from you knew and then and then it ballooned beyond that um in the years to come because now folks are putting you know the exact rick and and the rick house and um you know the all these different, so you know exactly which barrel it came from, where that barrel was, in which warehouse, when it was bottled, when it was distilled. Like, I mean, you you can't you can follow the progression from grain to bottle to your glass from beginning to end, and that's really a cool thing. You can't do that when you go buy a bag of bread. You can't do that when you buy some corn. You can't do that even when you buy seeds. Like you don't you don't know where that fucking plant came from. You don't know which mega corporation fucked with those seeds before they made it to your home whiskey or or spirits period are the only things that you can really do that with that i know of right now they're the only ones that really care enough to actually put all that information on the packaging so you can follow that from the beginning to the end i think right now too there's a real there's a real interest from consumers especially like guys like you that are open to having an apple brandy or having a rum or having an absinthe or a gin or something like that, right? There's an appetite for these other things. And I also will say this, and I joked about it in the past when I worked at Copper and Kings, I used to joke with Joe, joke with Joe Heron as much as you could joke with Joe Heron, uh, that they should have applied to trademark the term craft rectified. Well, I've beat them to that now because nobody jumped on it. I've joked about this for fucking years because no, there was no fermentation happening there, right? And I'm not judging them on that. It's fine. It is what it is. But they missed an opportunity to, it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek joke, but check this out. So as long as a distiller is open about what they're doing, and you're going to hear me say there's no such thing as trade secrets, et cetera, et cetera. There's all kinds of cool shit. People think of rectification as being a bad thing. There's all kinds of cool shit a distiller can do if they're open to doing it, and they don't paint themselves in the corner as I have at Spirits of French Lick, Right. So I'm going to give you an example of, of a craft rectified product that one could do. So as long as they were open and they were honest about it, we talked earlier about how people open a bottle of apple brandy. They want that green apple Jolly Rancher flavor because they don't fucking know any better. If you want more apple flavor in your brandy, there's a way to do it legally and still call it brandy. And so for brandy and rye and wheat, there is a provision for up to 2.5% of harmless flavoring and coloring. Now, you could go buy apple essence, but that seems a little bit like a cheat to me. I would never do that. But what I might do is make apple brandy the way that I make it and then take some really good high-quality heirloom apples and dry those heirloom apples. And I might soak those heirloom apples in that apple brandy, but I would tell you if I did that and then filter the apples out and then you've not added anything except what would normally be added to an apple brandy. That would be an example of craft rectified, which would be the opposite of bottled and bond. But if there's a distiller you trust and he's telling you the truth about what you're doing, 
I don't see that as being a disqualification, right? So another example would be make a rye whiskey. If you want that floral character of that rye to come through, why would you not take, say, some ground rye grain that hasn't been fermented and add it to the thumper, right? Yep. Or back to the apple. The other way you can do that is you take those dried apples on your doubling run. If you run double pot still, put a gin basket on, fill that gin basket up with as many fucking dried apples as you can and push through that and pull that fresh apple flavor and aroma off. And I think as long as the distiller is honest about it at this point, the consumers that are going to seek out a craft distiller in the first place, they're not as they're not the bourbon snobs, right? They're not the bourbon, you know, the the bourbon bros and they're not listening to fucking bourbon pursuit and fucking all that shit that's out there. Uh, and I have, I have no qualms about saying that whatsoever. All more power to those guys, whatever. But those aren't my customers. And to be quite honest, those guys are no longer the gatekeepers for us craft distillers. Guys like you guys will become the gatekeepers for us craft distillers because you'll keep us honest and you'll ask us good questions and you'll understand exactly what the fuck we're doing. That's what we're setting out to do, at least. I mean, we, you know, um, um, I think we're part of the legions that, uh, as far as bourbon, you know, bourbon pursuit to those those types of guys, you know, they uh, they set out to do one thing and then they pivoted and did something completely separate. And it wasn't just them. They're a, a, a whole ton of those, whatever. And I don't want to name names. I don't want to point fingers. I don't want to make enemies. But I'll name them fucking assholes. <laughs> That's what they get for jumping the shark. Listen, you can't you can't criticize craft and then come out with your own brand and be like, oh, well, maybe it's better because you know it's just that big bourbon is better than craft. Fuck off. I mean, Fuck off. Here's the thing: everybody started out as quote unquote craft at one point, right? I mean, they're yeah. you know, even if you look at Jim Beam <laughs> way back in the fucking day, the way it started. If that were now, Jim Beam would be considered a craft distiller. The only reason they're not considered a craft distiller is because they've been around for a long fucking time. Mm -hmm. You know, um, pretty much the only distillery that I can point a finger at and say that didn't start as necessarily a craft distillery is MGP because Seagram's was making, you know, large scale shit. And then once it pivoted to MGP, they they were just producing to produce for people to buy already you know ready made shit. Everybody 100%. else started out you know as as a craft distiller in the true sense of the word. There's no there's no shame in yep. that, and there's a lot of stuff that's being made still to this day that is by and large better than the the big boys by craft distillers. There's there's a lot of it. There's a whole like. And, 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 and I think that's great because there's always going to be new shit. It's exactly. going to be fantastic. Mm -hmm. You know, you get stale, you get stale in the business and then the business dies. The the industry dies when you get, when you get stale. So we yeah. need the craft distillers. We need we the, the, the small guys because the small guys are going to think like yourself, think outside the box, do shit <laughs> that nobody's ever done find new ways to make it new and exciting and, and, and wonderful. And folks like myself and, and Paul and Jerry, we're going to eat it up. And, yeah. and, and we're, we're, you know, there, there's, there's the average folk out there that are going into the, into the average liquor store to buy the bullshit, uh, the fireball and, and, and the vodkas and whatever the fuck, so that they can get drunk and go on. And, but that's, they're, they might be somewhat of your target market, but they're not your true target market. They're not, they're not the ones that you're actually trying to target. They're, they're going to help 
keep business afloat, but they're not the ones that you really want to, you know what I mean? And then you got guys like us and we're going to fucking find the shit and we're going to love it. And we're going to keep coming back. We're yeah. the ones that you want to, that you want to play. Absolutely. To. 100%. Because, and, and I'll even say this real quick. Um, occasionally we get lucky and we catch a big fish, right? So I'm good friends with Veach I'm, and Steve Coombs has given us a great reviews in the past. And I like Mike Veach. I do too. I like and, stuff. Yeah. And Minnick jumped on to the Lee Sinclair a few years ago. And, and Minnick has actually been a pretty damn big help to us. He certainly, I will say this. He certainly, if he gets behind something, it's like putting the foot to the fucking pedal and making it move. Sure. sure. And so I found myself in a weird place too, where, you know, I may have just said some shit about bourbon pursuit or whatever, but Fred knows how I feel about that as well. But <laughs> I find myself in, and I think he probably, yeah, I can't, won't go there. Um, anyways, <laughs> nonetheless, I found myself in a weird place where we, we did start to get some of those more traditional bourbon drinkers, mm-hmm. right? And they have become good customers, but I, and I feel bad for them in a lot of ways. Cause I hear from them so many times where they're like, Oh man, I went to, uh, I went to my bourbon club and I took one of your bottles. Cause I thought I got this really cool thing. I'm going to share with these guys. And he's like, they're just, they're, they're so stuck on whatever the, you know, antique collection is that I can't get them to pay attention. I'm like, don't worry about it, man. You're buying the stuff. It's all good. I don't need them as customers anyways. It's fine. Right. It's fine. So, and then I'm sure that puts people like Fred in a weird spot too. Cause all of his bourbon buddies are like, what the fuck are you drinking that spirits of French lick shit for, you know? So, well, I, I don't know, Fred, I've got a great respect for Fred and a lot of what we do here. Um, we, we haven't mentioned it to you. Um, but a lot of what we do here with this podcast is we try to focus on, um, veteran owned businesses. Very cool. Um, you know, veteran, um, uh, 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 charities, that type of thing. Um, and pretty, you know, I'm, I'm not a veteran. Um, mm-hmm. but I was a guest that we had on not long ago. He was like, you know, here's the thing, you know, and it'll cure this thing that you've got going on. Just go to the VA. And he, he just kind of, you know, looked at me and just decided, you know, I've got an American flag on my shirt pretty much all the time. Um, and, and I, you know, I guess I kind of give that vibe and I don't intend to, um, but I'm not a veteran and right. Paul and Jerry aren't either. Um, but we Same have here. great respect for veterans. Uh, yeah. my dad, um, my cousins, uh, my grandfathers, you know, Paul and Jerry have, uh, folks in their, you know, their circles that are, that are veterans as well. So that's definitely something that we try to, that we try to uh, get out there that we try to push and, and we're, we're, we've talked about, um, trying to get something going of our own, you know, to, to, uh, a, a veterans charity, uh, uh, you know, and we're, that's, you know, I think that's, we, it's not something that we've really, really talked about at length, but it's something we've definitely talked about. And I think it's something that we're all interested in and we want to probably want to try to make that happen at some point. But, um, a lot of people give Fred shit, you know, they, you know, always pretentious and all this shit. And I get that. I do understand where they're coming from, but at the same time, a lot of his pretension, quote unquote, what they're talking about are his tasting notes and things of this nature. Well, Fred is a trained uh, uh, sommelier. And the reason that he did that is because it was a way to uh, deal with his PTSD after he came back from the war. Like, I mean, I, I, I can't find any fault with that whatsoever. And I have oh, great yeah. respect for Fred Minnick. I do. Now, it is a problem for me as a bourbon drinker when he says, oh, well, um, I, fuck, I don't know, broken barrel 
you know, whatever the fuck is whiskey of the year. And I can't fucking find it. Anymore. Can't find that, it. Right? That's annoying, but that's, that's a me problem, not a him problem. Well, okay, I, I, you know, I end up in like the, the equal and opposite space of Fred. So Fred gets the weirdness because he likes spirits of French lick and, and Hey, people say all the time, Oh, I'm sure Fred gets paid for stuff. Listen, I've never paid Fred Menick a fucking dime ever for anything that we've ever gotten out of him ever. Not once. And I don't know of anybody that ever has not saying it doesn't happen i just don't know if anybody ever has and i don't think fred right. is that kind of person honestly but for as much shit as he gets for you know saying that he likes our stuff or like another craft distiller stuff from all of his buddies or his followers the opposite is true for me so i got put in the weird place of being like the first craft distiller that he was like oh alan knows what the fuck he's doing right and then all of my craft distilling buddies are like would you guys pay fred to fucking get that fuck you didn't <laughs> <laughs> pay him anything <laughs> so you know, make better whiskey. Right. That's what it comes down to. I mean, that's, it comes down to transparency. Just to circle back what you were saying. I mean, how, how you guys are at Spirits of French Lick. And we want the weird shit. We want the experiments. We just yeah. want to know about them because Good. we want to nerd out on them too. I mean, that's, that's the worst thing in this industry is when I get a new bottle that I've never seen or I've been recommended and I try to do a deep dive and I can't even find <laughs> where we're sourced from, what the mash bill is and all that. It's just nobody cares. Sourcing isn't a dirty word anymore. I want to know where it came from. I want to know how it was made. I want to know who made it. I'm buying a four-year label or off a recommendation. You're getting the money. Tell me where it came from. Tell me what where you did to it. Tell me, you know, like that. That's what we want. I want the weird experiments. I mean, amen. So, I mean, that's yeah. you know, I think that's a branch of the mainstream. There's always going to be the mainstream, you know, you know, heritage brands that some people are just going to stick with. But there's a growing group of us that want all those crazy branches i want spirits intertwined with other ones aged in different barrels throw shit in just experiment i think there is great levity coming to the market for a small regional craft distillers maybe even smaller than spirits of french lake that are playing around in the distilled spirit specialty realm i think there's an audience for it i think there's cool shit that can be done there and there's historic stuff that has not been done yet that can be done again um that hasn't been done since prohibition uh, I'll tell you guys about one more project before I jump off here real quick because I got to go play with these girls. So we were talking rye whiskey earlier. And uh, uh, just to just to be honest, as open and transparent as what I can be, I have another project coming up, uh, non-distiller producer, me and a good friend of mine, Ken Schreiner. Uh, Ken's great-grandfather, he was a distiller at White Mills and Lindale, and then he worked at uh, Waterfill and Fraser when they went to Mexico. Then he went up to Seagram's. Uh, and Shinley, when they were in Canada, came back to Indiana. Ken is the first person that's ever touched base with me. It was like, I have copies of my great-grandfather's books and wasn't completely full of shit. His great-grandfather actually carried around these little pocket notebooks and he wrote down fucking everything, every process from all these places. So Ken has no desire to start a distillery. Um, so we are buying some rye whiskey right now and acquiring some rye whiskey right now. Um, and we will be doing blending. Some of that rye whiskey I have produced at Spirits of French Lick. Some of it has been purchased elsewhere, um, but it will be, eventually there will be some production that is being done at a couple of different distilleries. Um, one of which I will be, you know, doing the distilling at, and the other one will potentially be in Pennsylvania and we'll be replicating these old rye mash bills. Uh, they're really interesting because most of them are Kentucky based, but it was at that weird time where the whiskey trust owned everything in Kentucky and they were trying to get a hold of Pennsylvania, but they couldn't. What it looks like happened in these books is that since the Whiskey Trust couldn't get a hold of Pennsylvania, they were trying to reproduce Pennsylvania and Kentucky, which is 
pretty interesting because you see a lot of things from Pennsylvania technology end up with some Kentucky and Indiana influence in them. Um, and you'll, I think you'll see some cool products roll out from that project where I'm doing the blending and, and potentially some of the distilling, although not all of it. So, but very cool. And when, when can we expect yeah. to, um, sample some of the, you know, the end results on that, you know, whatever I say, you might as well add six months to, cause that's the way this industry works. So let's, <laughs> let's say that, um, we've already added six months and if I'm lucky, some stuff might be out there by March or April. That's what I'm hoping. So at least the first initial release, um, it's going to be kind of cool too. So, uh, uh, Ken's great grandfather worked for the Wathens at one point, and we do have one of Turner's, uh, rum barrels on hand for the blend, uh, for a single barrel. So that'll be a, a pretty cool, there'll be some Indiana distillate in there and potentially some Pennsylvania distillate in there into, uh, one of Wathens rum barrels. So. We're very interested and yeah. um, also interested in uh, the prospect of you doing this uh, apple brandy and a rum finished barrel. So if you do that, uh, please let us know. Oh, I'll be reaching out to Turner. Trust <laughs> me. That'll be on the list tomorrow morning. So for um, sure. But guys, thank you very much for having me. And uh, anytime you ever want to come up, if I'm there, you're more than welcome to stop by. I'm happy to give you guys a tour. Listen, if you just, even if one of you is coming through at some point and you haven't even called or something, um, just go up to the front office and ask for me, um, tell them who you are. They'll come tell me if I'm there, I'll gladly give you a tour and we'll hang out or fuck, just come up. And, uh, if you guys all want to make a trip up there one day, spend the day at the distillery, we'll do some distilling and some barrel tasting all on the same day. So that'd be awesome. That'd that be sounds awesome. amazing. Thank yeah. you for yeah. coming. Thank no you. Problem, for, thank you for joining us. We really yeah. appreciate it. Sit down with us. This has been great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Appreciate it guys. And uh, Merry awesome. Christmas. Happy holidays. Um, and uh, have a good time with your, with your, with your kiddos. Decorate. We'll do guys. Have a good one. All Thanks. right. You too, sir. Thanks thank man. You. Later. Cheers.